Welcome back to the flip side. Galen Clavio here along with Brian Moritz as we are ready for the final March edition of the podcast. Brian, despite the best efforts of the FBI, uh, we maintain our spot here on the podcast airwaves. We, we, we do. I, I, I'm on, I'm on Apple stuff, so I feel like we're, we're under surveillance right now. I you like are careful. Yes. So I mean, yes, because you're, because your non Apple stuff is completely secure and it's only the Apple stuff that they can get into. It's, you know, I mean, it's so unsecure that they won't even bother trying to break into it. Like that's, <laughs> that's my philosophy on things. You figure the, you, you, you Apple people are just smug enough about your Word documents that it's like, they might, they might have something there. And you know, meanwhile, us, us schmucks with, with Windows, you know, they're like, oh, these people are not important enough to care about. So yeah. The, yes, they, they they are having fun with my text files, going crazy on that. So that's right. I find that I find that whole story just funny because obviously, as we're recording this tonight, it's March twenty eighth, and it's the uh, it's the night when the FBI announced that it had hacked the iPhone of the San Bernardino terrorist, that it had sued Apple to try to get in to to make them get in, and it's just like. Any rep- smart, reputable person who had been kind of following the story had been basically saying all along, the FBI, they could hack the phone in 10 seconds if they really wanted to. They wanted the, they didn't want the, the, the phone info. They wanted the precedent of being able to be allowed in. And now that's up in the air in the court. So they probably just said, okay, let's get what we need and get out. So um, well, I find kind of the hysteria over the fact that they did it today a little amusing just because I kind of figured they could do it all the time. They wanted the legal ruling that could, that would give them the authority to do that more than anything else. Well, it was interesting because they pulled, they withdrew the, the complaint, which meant that they don't have to tell Apple how they broke into the iPhone now. That's right. Uh, which is an interesting little <laughs> twist on things. So, so it's right. like Apple was probably almost like, well, we, we hope that you keep this going and you break it so that you can tell us how you did it. And now they're not going to be able to find that out. That's true. That's true. So, so what we are, we are at episode 11. We have tied cop rock after Woo. tonight. Nice. Big moment. So, uh, so what is the, uh, what's the beer choice for tonight from Bloomington? So we actually went out of state, uh, I believe into your state and we have the evil twin Yang. I'm not familiar with that. What's their work? This is uh, Evil Twin is located in Brooklyn, and actually no, oh, I, that's not- no, I apologize. They're not New York. They're 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 located in Stratford, Connecticut. My mistake. Um, but I Brooklyn's not even New York. I don't well, know. <laughs> you know, uh, but no, this is um, this is interesting. It's an it's an Imperial Taiji IPA. So it's ten percent ABV. They actually sell it. Uh, it, like it's on the same row at the at the big red liquors here, where they've got that and a stout, and they've actually got a, a black and tan premix if you want it, which I decided I decided not to get because I wanted to at least try the IPA out on its own first. All right, all right, a black and tan premix. That sounds hmm. That sounds like I'd have to have a couple other ones in me before I broke that open. But you know, you well, that again. you know, I mean. It it was expensive. Like I don't I don't know what it costs in Stratford, Connecticut, but uh, the this sick this was a four pack and it was thirteen ninety nine. Oh, um, but uh, you know a ten percent ABV. I figure well you know you're kind of getting your money's worth. And it actually for an for an Imperial IPA, I have to say the flavor is stellar. It's not overly hoppy. Huh. It's not overly harsh. It's actually pretty smooth. It does oh. wallop you after a little while, but that's okay. Right. 
That's interesting. Oh, that's good. I, I am going with um, a beer. I don't think I, I have not had for an episode yet, but I have discussed several times. It is Switchback Al. Okay. So I went out of state to this is out of Burlington, Vermont. A small brewery makes this, and this is probably not probably. This is my favorite beer of all beers I've had. This is a number one on the list. This is the last of a stash when we went to Vermont for a family vacation slash Avet Brothers tour this past summer. We uh, we spent a couple of days up there and we did we went to the brewery and we did the tour, which was okay. I'm not a big fan of brewery tours because mm. you know you know. I know how you make beer and there's really not anything different about how once you've gone on one, you know, you've pretty you've much seen on them all. all. Yeah. Right. But uh, it was funny when we went to, we were at dogfish head because we vacationed in Rehoboth too. And, uh, they're doing a tour and we were at the bar, at the tasting bar and the guy goes, you don't need the tour. We take water, hops, mix it, make beer in there. And we serve it out here. Sold. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, when we were in Vermont, we picked up a, uh, a case of the 22-ounce bottles or whatever. That's the only size that they bottled at the time. And uh, this is the last of our summer uh, batch. So, hmm. Have you – I don't want to diverge too much down the beer track because I know we have another topic to talk about today. But what do you That's make – somewhat related. What do you make – it's true. What do you make of this sudden hard left turn that many craft breweries are taking into sour beer? I, can you give me some examples? I, I, I'm kind of uh... maybe this is not happening where you're at, but in our local area, like our big brewery, uh, the, like the biggest one in Bloomington, Upland, they're building a whole new structure where they're just going to brew. If I understand correctly, they're just going to brew sour beer there, and so you know, it's like it's kind of like you ever had like Bell's Third Coast or or yeah. you know stuff like that where it's got a decidedly kind of sour taste to it whether huh. it's fruitated or whether it's something else and and i i don't know what what's I, what are your thoughts on that um my a couple guesses off the top of my head i mean one might be i don't know what types of hops are being made available what types of hops are being you know there's kind of a, a growth of in hops growing and in hops har- harvest so if different types of hops are being grown maybe closer to to the brewery maybe they're able to experiment try something different rather than rely on the cascade ipa hops i can also see for a lot of craft breweries taking taking that turn just to kind of branch out away from being the hoppy ipa is that we've we've mentioned this before on how for a lot of people i think when these craft beers are kind of defined by the ipa and by that kind of ultra hoppiness and so i don't know maybe it's just a way to kind of uh, distinguish themselves, kind of step away from the, you know, you know, you, you, you go to what you go to any kind of beer selection, you just see a ton of IPAs these days. And I think trying to maybe branch out from that and, and, and you know, uh, stand out from the market a little bit. I don't know. Um, I haven't had much experience with sour beers. So I don't have, uh, a lot of reference for them. So. Well, I, I, I charge you with going out and educating yourself on that front. All right, I have homework. All right. I want you, yes, come back in two weeks having consumed at least three sour beers and give me your, uh, your, your stated, uh, evaluation of the stuff. I, I, I'm only taking this assignment because A, it means I get to drink beer and B, you have tenure and I don't. So I, <laughs> I have to listen to you. That's right. Well, I knew tenure would come in handy at some point. <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway, uh, so we're going to stay in the, uh, in the 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 world of consumables, but uh, move over from from drink to food. You wanted to talk a little bit about cooking tonight. 
Yeah, I, it was ideas I was coming up with. We've we've done a lot of college basketball talk lately, rightfully so with the tournament. But I figured we wanted kind of wanted to branch out. Um, uh, and since only one of our alma maters is still alive, I figured there's you know not much to say beyond uh, beyond beyond that. Um, no, there's really not. <laughs> no. Um, so, um, oh my God, people up here are are are, are obnoxious obnoxiously smug right now about Syracuse being in the final four obnoxiously smug about it um well I mean they should be I mean it's one well, it's one thing to be um you know barely put into the field and have people think that you don't deserve to be in the field for both basketball and non-basketball reasons it's another to make the final four and in the process beat a Virginia team that was an odds-on favorite to to get out of that region with Michigan State out. I mean, I right. I would be I would be obnoxiously smug if IU barely made it well, into the field and then made it to the Final Four. Well, 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 well you know, I'll be perfectly frank. I would have been obnoxiously smug had Bonaventure made the field. So you know, I can see where they're coming from. <laughs> that two quick thoughts on that, and then we'll, and we'll get into cooking and food. Um, I knew you couldn't thing, stay away from basketball. Of course not. Of course not. So much to say in so few venues where I wouldn't annoy people up here. Um, it's that, so, okay, the, the they didn't belong in the field, and now they're in the final four. Well, for one thing, and you know this from being kind of an analytics guy, just because they've played well and made the, and they played very well to make the, and, and played extraordinarily well last night to, to come back. That doesn't mean that, you know, it's the, you, you said we didn't belong and look where we are. Well, you didn't belong at the time. You know, the example I use for students is if you're playing blackjack and you have 20 and you say hit me and get an ace, was it a good decision? Was it a smart decision? No, it was an incredibly stupid decision. It just happened to work out. I got a blog post working on on this and how it kind of relates to, to sport and the idea of the sport ethic and winning being the thing that matters. And is that, other, is that, is that affirmation bias? Uh, probably. That's <laughs> no. It's it, it's the affirmation. I like that. Um, it's, it's the idea that um, that if you win. It's the right decision, and you know, well, it doesn't matter if you know, you know, it, 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 if it was, you know, I think, well, we, I, you know, I think we should just dub that affirmation bias. Like, I, I like it. I, I was, yeah. I because I just looked it up, and the only thing that comes up on Google is, uh, is confirmation bias, which is, right. which is, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Maybe we'll think. Yeah. Bias. But anyway, go so, ahead. Yeah. No, and I, I, I lost my train of thought, and it's probably for the best, but, but, um. But yes, so uh, an, an impressive run, upstate, central, western New York, very excited about Syracuse going in. Um, but I kind of wanted to veer off of that, and I had, had, had the idea of talking about cooking and talking about food. Um, in the, and I know you're interested in this. We've talked about chili in past episodes. I know that um, I've actually watched a video you once posted about cooking fried chicken. Because yep. um, that's what I do with my life, apparently, watch videos of you cooking. I mean, um, there are worse ways to spend a day. I, there are worse ways to spend a day. <laughs> but um that ten percent hitting you right now. But um I was thinking about the I was thinking about this last week because I, I we had we had spring break last week and so I was home and uh, my daughter was not off school, so I was home but uh my wife was at work and I was home most of the days. And so it's it's always I always like taking those chances to, you know, hey, maybe you know, cook up maybe make a little bit more of an uh, an extra Put a little extra effort into dinner, you know, maybe make something that, that goes beyond just heating something up quick at the end of the day or throwing something together um, when we both get home from work. Um, and I, I I heard about this book on another podcast, and it's Ruhlman's 20, and it's Michael Ruhlman of book, uh, food journalist, food, he's a chef slash food journalist, I believe. 
It sounds like he's a pretty interesting story. It sounds like he's a guy who had had, uh, who was a food writer and then learned to become a chef so that he could become a better food journalist and write more authoritatively about food, which is a really interesting concept that we could extrapolate out on in our own areas of expertise. Um, and so I was reading his book and his book is fantastic because it basically breaks down cooking into the 20 most basic elements, flavors, and uh, and techniques. Okay. And, and so it's like, you know, very basic on salt and why salt is so important. You know, water, how to, you know, sauteing, cooking with gentle heat, making bread. And it's funny, and what got me thinking about it was I tried to make, he has a recipe in there for, it's a Dutch oven bread. It's very simple bread. You just make it and put it and bake it in a Dutch oven. And I, I, I tried to make it, and it was an absolute disaster failure. <laughs> um, but I, it, it just and, and thinking about that it just kind of got me thinking about about cooking and, and the different ways we cook and the different reasons and, and different benefits we get out of it. And so ha- having known that you're 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 culinary minded as well, just thought it'd be a good topic for interesting. So like in, in general, basically, let me start. I don't. Know, we can kind of take this wherever, but. I mean, how often do you, well, I, you know, cook versus make dinner? Do you understand the distinction I'm going? Yeah, I do. I cook deer. How often do I cook versus making dinner? He's going to the wife. This is a big deal. Seventy percent of the time, I cook as opposed okay. to just making dinner. Now, that's a really good ratio. Now, here's the thing. I'm. We're, this is an unusual household. My wife is a good cook. I am a mm-hmm. great cook. Uh, and, and, and I'm not, I, I, all, all false, she just said it's true. It's, I, I, I've, I've been cooking since I was like 12. Okay. Uh, it was one of the things that I learned from my dad and my mom too, but mostly my dad. My dad got me interested in grilling. And, and so a lot of what I did initially was, was grilling, but my dad was very much, not satisfied with the traditional way of grilling. Like, you know, to him, it was anathema. If you're going to make hamburgers, you didn't just buy the pre-made patties and slap them on the grill and then take them right. off. You know, he had this whole system where he would, like, season the meat, and he would, like, it was only, it was almost, like, almost like make meatballs, basically, with it, but then turn that into hamburger and put it on the grill. He had this whole marinade system with chicken. We used to grill turkey for Thanksgiving, like whole turkey on a Weber grill on over, over charcoal. It's delightful. You should try it sometime. Ooh. It's 12 pound bird takes an hour and 40 minutes, basically. Really? Uh, it's, nice. it's, it's, and it's, right. it's far more flavorful than what you get out of an oven. So anyway, that was my backdrop. When I was in college, I would play around with certain, you know, recipes. Some I would create myself. Uh, my mom got me the joy of cooking, which to me is, mm-hmm. is like the Torah of, oh. uh, of, of, of cookbooks. And, you know, I learned a lot out of that. And and so, you know, what I do generally is we have a rotation of various sorts of, of, of dinners, but we try to mix it up based upon local ingredients. We buy a lot of stuff from the local butcher shop. We buy a lot of um, specialty ingredients from, like, the Italian mart that we've got here. Um, mm-hmm. I've gotten into making certain things. We did some homemade pasta, which actually turned out pretty good. I make a lot of homemade bread. I make my own pizza dough, things like that. So um, rare is the time when we'll just kind of make dinner. Um, okay. You know, most of the time we do what we do these days is from scratch. And even like we I've even gotten hardcore enough that um, with with uh, pancakes, we don't use the box pancake mix anymore. Well, now you're just showing off. We no no no, and it's actually <laughs> no, and, and okay now. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is not to brag or to show off, but 
I, I've actually been very tempted to to like offer an extracurricular class to my students about like how to cook reasonably without a lot of money and without having to like be ridiculously like you know good at it already. And like mm-hmm. the, the the pancakes thing is is like really simple. Like all we do is we buy um, this powdered buttermilk that you can get at the store, and you just mix that with flour and baking soda and baking powder and a couple of other things, mix it together. It it takes slightly more time than making the box mix, and it just okay. tastes so much better. And it's like what we've found uh, over and over again is that that is just superior to simply making dinner. And okay. so that's kind of where we're at with things. And it's it's been rewarding. I've enjoyed it a lot. Interesting. Yeah, we are we are very skewed the other way. In terms of the making dinner versus cooking, my wife and I were were about I, I'd say we're very equal in, in terms of, of kitchen skills. You know, I I have you know I like I like the grilling. I'm trying to I, I I and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, and I'm glad you kind of are at the level that you're at with this because I it's cooking is I have friends who are very very good cooks too. My friend Jared Paveni, who we've talked about, who's bloggy Fred, I know, mm-hmm. fantastic, absolutely marvelous cook, marvelous food writer. Uh, another, uh, several other friends who are outstanding, outstanding cooks. And, you know, as, as someone who, you know, if you're looking at like the, the levels of, uh, of, of expertise in cooking, I would kind of consider myself, I guess I put myself at like the advanced beginner mm-hmm. where like I can, I can pull, I, I, I can pull it, pull off a decent dinner, but I don't feel, I don't, it, it's weird. I don't know if, if, if it's a lack of confidence. If it's a lack of like knowledge, like I don't know what I don't know, I don't know what I don't know. It's kind of like taking that step from, you know, being a really, you know, a quote good cook when you're like 22 and 23 and can pull together something, you know, not even at the level you were at, but but something incredibly basic and 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 taking it up and, and trying to, I guess raise it a little bit so it's a little bit more a little more pride in it i guess it's something sure. else. It, it just feels like something that you know and look i can ask you for bread for bread advice because my bread like i said i didn't even get it in the oven right. um it just something went wrong there um and i know and it's funny because like i know in, in hindsight like bread's bread can be tricky bread is not sure. necessarily a, an, an easy thing to try to pull off Any, but anytime anytime you're dealing with living things like having to change the composition of what you're working with it's always tricky right it's like making yeah, it's like making but, beer basically it's the same sort right. of deal and and uh but one of the things I, and, and I've taken I have a couple good cookbooks that I like for baking bread cookies cakes things like that I the um the, the joy of cooking obviously like you said the torah wonderful um Christina Tossi, who does the milk, who runs the uh, Momofuku Milk Bar in New York City, she's okay. on one of the Gordon Ramsay shows. Um, uh, she has a, a, a very fun cookbook. I forget the name of it. it. Might be Milk Bar Life or something like that. But very fun cookbook. Um, I have the Thomas Bouchon Bakery Book, which is so intimidating. I, I, I've tr- I've opened it up, meaning to do recipes on that. And that's another thing I think it, it is odd. When, 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 when talking, when, I, when I'm looking at getting into cooking, and I think it can, it can be a barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. Is that, is that, the, I mean, not just okay at the Thomas Keller level, and Thomas Keller is of course probably the best chef in the United States and mm-hmm. legendary, and and but there's like, there's like a weird level, two levels of kind of cookbooks and recipes. There's the OMG Pinterest cheesy enchilada bake blog and i hate them so much because it's not just the the quality of the food that they're putting on but it's like 
18 pictures of the food, little paragraphs talking about how much their family loved it. And you can tell that they're like writing it because they took an SEO blogger class that said you want to maximize somebody's time on the site. So you just stretch it out till you get to the recipe. Right. Or it's, you know, at the level of a Thomas Keller or a Michael Ruhlman where it's very, you know, not just precise, but, you know, you have to, there, there's a very specific way to do things and a very specific, like, you have to have the right baking pan and the stone and the quality of knives yeah. and the quality of ingredients. And I know all of that matters. I know the, be, you know, the, the better, the, a lot of times the best ingredients, you know, make the dish. But like I said, and, and I'm interested in hear, hear your thoughts on this, but just because, you know, as someone who, as someone not quite at that level, it can be really intimidating to, to, to enter into that world and, to see a whole lot of if you're not doing it like this, you're doing it wrong, and yeah. you might as well just be eating McDonald's all day. One of the biggest problems I have with the mentality that a lot of people exhibit towards cooking is that they they get exposed to those really top-level cookbooks, and they get scared off for many of the reasons that you're describing. And to me... Yeah, you know, I, I look at it as the difference between French cuisine and Italian cuisine. So like French cuisine is based upon the concept of, you know, haute cuisine, like high cuisine. Like the idea in France was um we're gonna create an upper stratification of food that will be considered the aspirational goal of every chef in France. And because French cooking has had such an impact on culinary culture in the United States, I think that that mentality tends to reign supreme for a lot of people. If you look at Italian mm-hmm. cooking, it's all very local. It's all based upon local ingredients. It's all based really upon a lot of simple concepts. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, can you get the basics right? And if so, how are you able to apply those other items in and around it? And I think for mm-hmm. me, and I, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's flavor is different. There's a lot of people who get very prissy about what they eat. And that's fine. I mean, you know, it's a big, big world. We got room for everyone. But for me, what I have found is that the best tasting food for me is the stuff that hues closer to the basics than the things that I would spend six hours cooking uh, in the kitchen. And, you know, a lot of it has come down initially to figuring out the basic techniques to make things taste the way that you want them to. And even that building block, I think, is one that a lot of people don't stop to think about. Like, so when I go out and I I taste something I really like, the first thing I want to know is, okay, how did they get it to taste that way? What what did they use to make it taste that way? And a lot of times, it's relatively simple ingredients. It's like they used butter, or they used <laughs> salt, right. or they used red pepper flake, or they they or they seared the 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 meat in a particular way, or the or the pasta was made this particular way. And a lot of times. Those those main things end up being so important to how things taste. But I think a lot of people don't grasp that, and a lot of people don't have much of a spice cabinet. We have 60, 70 different types of spices and, and, and things like that that we have gradually collected. We don't use them all the time. I mean, there's stuff in that spice cabinet that's probably five years old, but <laughs> but we but we we you know we put the the spices in certain things that we know we need that particular flavor for. And I think a lot of people don't grasp that you have to do that. They also underspice. Like right. one of the first things that my wife had to learn when she moved in, because my wife grew up in a typical Indiana family where 
uh, you know, a lot of people here, my mom was in the same thing, a lot of German immigrants, a lot of Scottish immigrant, like, you know, that mm-hmm. descended stock. And those, those genetic populations by and large don't either don't believe in spices or don't understand what spices do. Like everything is very, very basically flavored, which, you know, whatever. But, um, to my palate and now to her palate, much to her mm-hmm. consternation, um, it, you know, we have to we have to season food in a way that gives it a lot of flavor to go along with whatever the inherent flavor happens to be. Right. So, you know, looking at recipes, I mean, we've got a lot of cookbooks. I mean, my wife's a huge Barefoot Contessa fan. Okay. Um, you know, I I really I enjoy Jacques Pepin's stuff at times. There's a couple of others that I've enjoyed, but honestly, I get most of my recipe ideas initially off of the internet right. uh, and not off of Pinterest. I mean, I'll like you know. Uh, the Food Network website, believe it or not, has some really good mm-hmm. recipes if you know who to look for. And a lot of it comes down to, do I like this chef and what they normally do? It's like Tyler Florence for me normally is a guy whose recipes have something in them that makes it taste good. Right. Whereas there's other people I could point to and be like, that's ah, not really somebody – like Bobby Flay. Bobby Flay makes okay stuff, but it doesn't really – it doesn't it doesn't hit my taste buds the way I want it to. But you got to sure. experiment with those things. Right. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I, 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 so, okay, let, let, let's do this. So if you're offering that, that, that non-credit elective to students on, on cooking, um, what, so what are the go, what, what are the, what, what's your out, syllabus outline look like? Like, what are the, what are the basic things is, you know, and, and, and talking to someone like me who like knows their way around the kitchen, but it's still kind of, all right, I want to. I want to cook more. I don't want to make dinner anymore. I really like that. Right. I came up with that distinction. I, like I really that. like that. So, well, what's the um, what, what what what's the syllabus? What what's the uh, what's the what what are, what are we learning here? Well, I think first and foremost, we start off by going over the um, the basics of what food is like what it what the different types of food provide you how they fit together uh you know one of the big things for me is like let's go through the meats and let's let's talk because that's a that's a building block of of a lot of dishes now if you're vegetarian obviously we might skip that module but um (laughs) but even with the vegetarian stuff it's like okay what can we do with each of these vegetables what can we do with these fruits like what cooks well what doesn't how are you cooking them like you know if you're if your mom used to cook asparagus to death and you hate it, guess what? There are, you know, yes. you can roast it. You can, you can throw steam, it on a grill for two minutes. You can throw yeah. it on a grill. You can steam it lightly and still retain some crunch. You can do the same thing with Brussels sprouts. My wife had never eaten Brussels sprouts uh, before she moved in with me, and I love Brussels sprouts. I grew up on them. Um, okay. She's come up with a new way of cooking Brussels sprouts that my mom never used that is just as good, if not better. Like, right. so, so we walk through those things first. Like, how... How, you know, um, how do we use different cuts of chicken? How do we cut up a chicken? How do we mm-hmm. how do we shop for meat? What sorts of meats? Yes, I'm always surprised that like people don't really understand the difference between a strip steak and a ribeye and a tenderloin, or they don't understand the cooking properties of a thigh versus a leg versus breast meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all that becomes very important because um, so much of the the bad food I've had at other people's houses in the course of my life, a lot of it, frankly, has been because it wasn't cooked right, not because it wasn't given. I, exactly. Yeah. Right. I, I know exactly what you're saying. Right. Yeah. You and know, so, it, yeah. 
so for me, it's like, okay, let's cover those things. Let's figure out, okay, you want to make eggplant parmigiana. Well, we need to learn about eggplant first, mm-hmm. you know, and then we need to learn about pasta. And, you know, you need to understand that um, when you're cooking, there's another mini video that I put out once about how to cook pasta. And it's like, it's oh. amazing how many people don't even understand how to do that. People overcook their pasta it ends up being rubbery and and not that very good and or, or you don't salt the water and right people are terrified of cooking rice because they don't grasp how it works and it's really simple rice is one of the easiest things to cook so that's what we're starting right with. and frankly we could do a whole class simply on those things but you know but once we get past that point then we can talk about you know certain like like the the pots and pans that people are using, you know, are you using a nonstick versus a, a cast iron skillet, or are you using a Dutch oven, and what are you using it for? Um, the order of operations for certain sorts of things, like, um, y- you know, if you want to do a stir fry one night, okay, well, how do those components work? How do you cook it? What what goes in first? Mm-hmm. What goes in last? What should be cooked ahead of time? Things like that, um, and then even with things like grilling, it's like. Um, you know, the differences between gas and charcoal and the stuff you can do with one or the other and the flavor profile that you're going to get out of that. And th- these all seem very elemental, but frankly, I think most of the most of the things that bump you up from complete amateur or even, like, mid-level beginner to the next level is simply grasping those basic concepts and understanding this is what this does, this is how I do this, this is how this gets applied. Then, and this is where I'm at, you know, because I wouldn't call my, I'd I'd say I'm a very good cook or great cook. I wouldn't say I'm an expert by any means. Like if you put Mm -hmm. me in, if you put me on chopped, I probably wouldn't fare particularly well because Mm -hmm. there's certain things I still don't do that great. But, but I understand how things fit together enough that now I feel confident when I'm in the kitchen experimenting. Right. I don't feel like I have to uh, to stick completely to a recipe. Like I can add this or that if I feel like it'll give me more, um, you know, more, give me something different, give me a different flavor, and I'll try it out. And, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but most of the time it does. Uh, most of the time it does work, and if it fails, it's okay. You know, right. and I think I think ultimately that's what the that's what the the final exam in the course is about: getting people over the paralyzing fear that they're going to fuck up dinner, and as a result, they're not going to, like, they're, they're going to be overly conservative in what they do because they want to avoid that outcome. I, I And I feel that fear, it's funny, I feel that fear, especially when I'm doing a main course, and that mainly gets to the cost of the protein. Mm-hmm. You know, if I pay, you know, whatever, $20 for a thing of skirt steak or a flank steak or something, and I screw that up. Well, crap, that's decent money going down. That's decent money down, down, down the drain. That's one of the great things I love about why I like baking. One of the reasons I really like baking, you know, there's a certain creativity to it. That's fun. Right. You know, dough becomes something you kind of, it's more, you make something more of it. A lot of the reason I like baking, to be honest, is so many guys I know are very good protein cooks, whether they're very good or they think mm-hmm. they are. And it's kind of like, you know, kind of like flung against that stereotype. But I also like, experimenting with baking because like that my aborted bread from the other day the total ingredients cost me two dollars less right. than two you know two dollars you know a dollar fifty for the flour 75 cents for the yeast and i'm out the time that my dough didn't rise and stayed sticky after right. like five hours i'm like okay this is a waste of time but but i do but but you know if you can get i i do like that the the notion of kind of getting over that fear of fear of screwing up because you know 
okay, you screw up dinner, then you have cereal or a peanut butter sandwich, or if there are people over, like, what if something goes wrong? Well, you order pizza, you laugh about it, and it's a great story next time you hang out. I think that, that yeah. there is that oh. kind of, there, there is that kind of, you know, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it's, you know, kind of built into our parents' DNA and our grandparents' DNA, and they handed down the idea of wasting food, and you don't want to wait, and, you know, that that's, you know, a real yeah. problem. You our, don't, our want, you don't want to. But our grandparents also didn't know how to cook, by and large. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever had a good meal at somebody's grandparents' house. I mean, it was good because it was grandma's house. It wasn't good because the food was like, well, okay. So in an Italian household, it's a little bit different. Um, sure. But or a Jewish household, I've or, or a Jewish household. or a Jewish household. But but you know, a lot of people's grandparents uh, just made incredibly bland food, or they severely overcooked the turkey or the ham because right. you know, in Indiana, people were convinced that if the you know pork didn't get up to two hundred degrees, you were going to die of you know botulism or not well, that salmonella. My grandma, my my grandmother had trichinosis from pork, and it was like in the 40s or 50s i don't know but you know lord knows i heard about it for the entire time she was alive and it's and you know my mom never liked pork roast growing up well of course not your mother cooked it to 200 degrees to within an inch of its life you know then you go down to go down and get some real carolina barbecue that's been cooked low and slow for eight hours like wait a minute this is how it's supposed to be this and and, well you know and the funny thing about you know this is like there's so many with the protein thing i think it's hilarious because it's like the um most people don't realize this, but Carolina barbecue or, or Memphis barbecue or whatever does get cooked to 200 degrees, but it gets cooked to 200 degrees at 200 degrees. Rather, over eight hours. Over, eight, yeah. over, over, over 12, 12 hours, I would say. Yeah, but, you know, and, and that's what I mean by getting the techniques down. It's like you don't, you don't slow cook a steak and you don't put pork ribs, you know, in, in boiling water to get them tender so that you can put them on the grill. Um, those sorts of things. And look, as far as like ruining protein, the best investment anybody can make if they're serious about wanting to learn how to cook is an InstaRead probe thermometer that you can put into a steak or a hamburger or chicken to make Mm -hmm. sure that it's at the temperature that it needs to be at. And, you know, look, there's, you'd be fascinated at the number of technique based websites that are out there that do a really good job of explaining um, you know, how to cook particular types of protein. I did, you know, I did this one, um, there's this one website and I'm, 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 some of the information on it's hit or miss, but it's called amazingribs.com. But this guy has got, has put a significant amount of time and effort into t- teaching people how meat cooks. Uh, and it's, and it's, you know, it's aimed primarily at like pork shoulder and ribs and things like that. But there's even a whole section on cooking steak. And it taught, you know, I used it for the 4th of July one year where we had these big tomahawk ribeyes that that were, you know, they were, they were solidly an inch and a half thick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, rather than doing what I normally would do, which was cook them directly over the the fire at really hot and then just like try to time them when they come off, I cooked them, I cooked them off the flame on the opposite side of the grill for 25 minutes until, and and they barely inched up until they got to about 115 degrees. And then for the last five to 10 degrees, I put them on the flame directly, browned the outside and it cooked perfectly. You have to have a really thick steak to do that, but that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. It's Mm -hmm. like, and and it's the same thing with baking. Like um, the, I use the InstaRead thermometer when I make bread all the time. Uh, because it tells me, 
you know, make sure that I'm not overcooking the bread. It, it, it allows me a little more flexibility in how I'm cooking it in the oven, things like that. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's just I, – I stopped worrying. And, look, I, I was lucky because I, I had a father who grilled – like, we, my dad grilled four, three, four times a week. Oh, wow. Year round. Like, I mean, he would like in the dead of winter, we would be out grilling things. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and so I got over the fear of like screwing the meat up early, uh, mm-hmm. because I, you start to figure out the telltale signs for, you know, what for chicken or for hamburgers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and after a while, it just becomes natural. And I think people, right. the people, because they're so petrified and because they might have a bad experience, mm-hmm. um, they, the the first bad experience they have, it's like they shut themselves off and they're like, well, I'm never doing that again. And that's the, your response should be, no, I'm going to dive back in and do, you know, and double yeah. down on this. Yeah. And, you know, stupid things that have kind of, you know, I've gotten better at is, you know, controlling temperature too. you know, learning to, you know, wait, I can turn this down while I'm cooking it and, and, and calm it down. Or, you know, it's almost always turn it down. My wife is always on me to do that rightfully. So, and you've, and, and you know, one of the things I've learned is the kind of great power of cooking something longer at a, you know, a medium low heat. You know, again, there's a level of appropriateness. You're not going to do that with scallops or shrimp or right. something like that. You're going to go hit that with high heat quick. But, you know, the, but the, no, the but kind knowing of more, that knowing that is half the battle. Exactly right. So, OK, so what's your if you had to pick your go to dish like. We're com- like like in IX two years from now. We're coming over and and okay, a small group. So not like a big like thing where you're gonna make like mass quantities of food, but like small people, like four to six people dinner party. You're in charge of the menu, and okay, you're showing off your best of the best. God, that's rough. Because I mean, like the it, it and, really and, okay. Oh, let let's stipulate let let's stipulate you know air quotes normal eating habits. So no vegetarians, no um no allergies or anything like that. So right. So well, you know, gosh, that you're putting me on the spot here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I make a very good carbonara. Um, it, which which you know for those who aren't familiar, it's a it's a pasta dish which. It's which is involves bacon and egg and cheese, uh, kind of all mixed together. Uh, I have a very good pasta methodology, which involves repatriation of the pasta water back into the pasta after it's finished cooking. Really, uh, stopping it very much in the al dente phase, um, gradually mixing in uh, a, a kind of a, a parmesan or, or some other sort of cheese. While, while it's sitting there hot, uh, before it actually gets anything else added to it, things like that. And then, you know, I mean, with, with, with carbonara, I mean, it's funny because it's like the basic meal that you make in The Sims. Uh, like <laughs> when your guys are starting out to cook, so it kind of gets a bad name, but it's a very rustic dish, um, that is generally, it hits most of the flavor profiles because it's, it's salty. Yet it's also got a kind of a starchiness to it because of the pasta, particularly the way that the pasta gets cooked. Um, right. I make an excellent, and this is this is these are not haute cuisine things at all. Keep in mind these are very much like Clavio home kitchen sorts of things. But I do make an entirely from scratch pizza. Uh, the sauce is from scratch. The dough is from scratch. The I know the pepperoni is not from scratch, but every you know pretty much everything else kind of comes from that and. Um, you know, that's, that's generally a big hit. I do a lot of good things with fish these days. Like that's been the other area that we, you know, I feel like we've, 
we've made a lot of progress. I do a very nice whole Bronzino, um, you know, which generally just gets, uh, the accoutrements on that are generally just like, um, uh, a rice with, with some, you know, some asparagus or some broccolini or something like that on the side. Mm -hmm. Like most of what I do, I don't try to hit you over the head with some kind of flavor profile because I feel like I'm picking things and cooking them in a way where the flavor profile ends up getting uh, represented fairly, fairly well already. Okay. Fish is one of the things I'm always intimidated with cooking because um, I feel like it's, and, and you know, that's probably just a mental block in me, but it has that, you know, that, you know, you don't want to overcook fish. Overcooked fish is terrible, but undercooked fish will kill you. Um, or be sold off the back of a truck somewhere. So it's, it's that weird, you know, that, that weird kind of bouncing act. And my wife doesn't like fish. You know, the nice thing is my wife doesn't like fish. So if I ever yeah. cook it, you know, it's, you know, I'm only screwing up for one. You know, my daughter's not touching fish if it's not a fish we, stick. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did, we did a really but, good, we did a really good bouillabaisse base the other day, um, hmm. a couple months ago that, that, uh, you know, turned out very well. And that's actually a fairly simple dish to put together as long as you get the broth right. Uh, right. but that was my wife's, job and she did a good job with that um you know whole fish on the grill has become a favorite thing of mine okay and this is you know i you know it's funny because like you um you go into the 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 butcher shop and you look at the whole fish and you're like ah i don't know about this um right um but in fact it's actually frankly not that hard to cook uh if it's if it comes if it comes cleaned uh, all I'll just I'll, you know I'll tell you folks how to do it. You sprinkle both sides with salt and pepper. You sprinkle the inside of the cavity with salt and pepper. You you shove a bunch of parsley and you you, you slice up a lemon and you shove the lemon slices into the fish and then and and garlic too. You obviously you you wipe your grill down really well. You cook it depending on the size of the fish for about 20 minutes. You flip it over once in that time period. You pull it off, and then you get the great joy of trying to figure out how to cut the fillets on either side off of the spine. That's a, that, right. that's something I've learned how to do. Uh, we we had that demoed for us in Italy once, and it, it's always stuck with me. But the flavor of a whole fish uh, cooked on the grill is one of the more divine things you can do at home. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, I think, I mean, there's some great tasting fillets, but the, the freshness of the fish whole is something that's hard to, hard to like, it's hard to fathom how good it is. Huh. I will have to try that. Yeah. I, the, the, you mentioned, mentioning salt earlier. We took a, uh, a class at the uh, New York wine and culinary center, which is down on Canandaigua Lake here. Wonderful, wonderful place. And, um, and the chef, their executive chef there is just a wonderful, you can tell he's very much a teacher and very much, very personable. And, uh, and he said, he said one thing that was amazing was, you know, I never thought of, you know, I was in my thirties before I realized, learned this, but how salt is a flavor enhancer. It makes everything taste better. And like, that's its job. And like, you hear that and like, of course, of course it is. But then you, but so yeah, that idea of, and Ruhlman's got a whole chapter in his book on seasoning and, and, and making sure that you're using it and doing, and doing it well. And same thing with butter. I mean, that's, um, uh, Bourdain talked about that in his, in one of his books that, you know, mm-hmm. restaurant food tastes so good because it's laden with butter and salt and sorry, health. If you, if you, that, you know, health concerns, smell concerns, that's why, what it tastes, that, that's how it tastes, that's, one of the reasons why so much restaurant food does taste good. We've actually kind of learned that butter and salt aren't really that bad for you. Like a lot of, right, exactly. 
Right. You know, that's that's one of the funny things is a lot of the things that we've been told are terrible for us actually are better for us than the alternatives that were provided for these supposedly terrible things for us. And, right. yeah. you know, a lot of it comes down to individual body chemistry and things like that. But it's like butter is not only, you know, considerably better for you than any substitute, but, mm-hmm. you know, cooking with liquid fat is actually f- superior to cooking with oil. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I would much rather cook with butter or bacon grease than I would with most of the oils out there. They're more flavorful. They, you know, we actually have a we have a canister of bacon grease that we keep in the fridge for cooking purposes. Right. Um, Naturally. Which, which I know makes us sound like, you know, savages, but that's okay because, um, you know, what we've found is that it, it provides a more natural taste to uh, to what you're doing. It it actually, I think, handles heat better than a lot of oils do. And frankly, I feel safer about putting, uh, putting that in my food than some of the oils that are out there. Um, hmm. a lot of, a lot of olive oil gets used in the house. That's the yep. one oil that like, you know, regularly gets utilized. Uh, but yeah, salt's terribly important. Black pepper is terribly important. Yes. White pepper is underrated, but I think terribly important. Red pepper flake is very important. Garlic is very important. And then, there's two additional wonder spices, in my opinion. One of them is cumin, uh, which I generally use more on, on Mexican mm. food. And then the other one is ginger. I think ginger uh, provides a quality flavor to a whole bunch of food. I mean, we, we do, we've gotten into, into a lot of Asian-style cooking over the course of the last couple of years. And, um, you know, and when you combine ginger and soy sauce, which is kind of a salt substitute, obviously, right. um, it, it allows for... Uh, just uh, the flavor that you would expect out of that sort of like, a, the, like an Asian style dish. Okay. Uh, it's like that's where they get a lot of it from. So, all right. And you know, one thing I should say that I do admire about your cooking is that you are not an Instagramming foodie, which I appreciate <laughs> a, 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 as a friend of yours. Do you have a pet peeve of kind of like social media food culture and kind of foodie culture? Um, not really. You know, it's funny. I. I was never a guy who got particularly miffed about people posting pictures of their food on uh, on social media. Like it just never I, it never bothered. I, I tend to like it. It gives me ideas of what to order or yeah. what to make. Or like I like to see what people are eating. So yeah, you know, weird, but I, you know, I mean, you know, for me, it's always been kind of. Um, I get, if I have a, if I think my biggest issue with foodies is that they call themselves foodies because <laughs> now, part of part of it is because I have a weird psychological distaste for the ooh sound in the English language. Like my wife will verify this. Okay. Like I, I like any any words that have like an ooh sound in them. I really can't stand like they make my skin crawl. And so okay. um Foodie is like one of the biggest defenders in that regard. So, so the movie Rudy just sent you yeah. flying out of the theater well, that, and that movie that movie sucked anyway. But yes, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, um but yeah, I mean I so anyway, the, the the whole culture though is like what the hell's a foodie? It's like I like I like food. Well, I think we all like food. I like right. talking about food. Well, okay. Surely there's a better word for that is it i like or you know i I feel like the biggest thing is oh i made these things celebrate the fact that i made them and it's like okay why like what okay congratulations on making an au gratin like what what exactly (laughs) what 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 was special about this other than you got the recipe off of pinterest 
I, 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 I think the, 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 the kind of, the idea of foodie culture, I'm going to say that word just a lot in, the, in this, in this little bit here, just for you. But I think with foodie culture, it's more that kind of almost fetishization of, of like food, uh, uh, of not just food, but like of the locally sourced artisanal stuff. And you know, the, the, you know, I, I, I know I've had friends, and I don't know if you've mentioned this before on social media, but I have other friends do, who like the inexpensive, like butcher cuts of steak, have become extraordinarily expensive now because they've become popular. So yes, like a flank steak, a flank steak has become popular or I, what are the I, other cuts that have become? Well, it's like, like well, the, 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 like butcher cuts that no one talked about except for people who knew now becomes thing because. Well, okay. You know, and it's funny because like when I was in Miami, um, Warren Wisenant, who's, who's the, uh, the head of the sport marketing or sport management program down there, he introduced me to the concept of smoking br- beef brisket. And Which is God's food. It is God. You know, beef brisket is incredible. Um, and you know, I used to drive down from from my house in Miami down to to Homestead because there was a Walmart in Homestead that sold Packers brisket, like in in the in the thing, you know, thirteen fourteen mm-hmm. pounds of meat, and you could buy it for like seventy nine cents a pound. And oh. and even when I moved up here. For the first like three years that I was living in Bloomington, you could go to the Walmart here and they would sell Packers brisket and it would be, you know, buck twenty nine, buck fifty nine a pound. It's it's five dollars a pound now. And like right. now, you know, instead of getting a brisket for, you know, fifteen bucks, bringing it home, smoking it for twelve hours, and then having right. delicious brisket for months because right. you've got that much left over. If I want to do that same thing now, it's going to cost me like $60 to buy that brisket. And I'm right. only going to do that in like moments of special celebration. And, right. you know, so it does it irritate me that brisket has been kind of lost to the hipsters? Um, yeah, it does. But I understand it. And I'm glad that people are, are enjoying it more widely now. I hope they make more cows to bring the price back <laughs> down. But, you know. But it's like pork shoulders still cheap, and you know we'll, I'll buy I'll buy a, a butt roast or a or a, a or a picnic roast, you know, and those are still on sale here sometimes for a buck twenty nine, mm-hmm. um, and I won't even necessarily smoke those. Like you know, there's a great recipe we use where I do the pretty much the whole thing in the oven. It's almost as good as on the smoker. It tastes it takes far less time, and you know I'll spend a grand total of like twelve dollars on nine pounds of meat. Right. Yeah. I, 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 this will probably be, bring me great shame, but I've made a very passable to good pulled pork shoulder in the uh, slow cooker. Um, no, that's, I mean, I, look, the only, here's the thing. I think people, people get bent out of shape. You should try this recipe. I'll tell you the recipe right now if you want for the other. Is this more homework? Okay. Yeah, more homework. This is actually, yeah. it's, cause I used to do pulled pork in the crock pot too, and I, it, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. But it's more delicious if you do it this way. So what you do is you take the pork shoulder, you rub it down with um, spices. Mm-hmm. If you want to get really tricky, you can rub it down with mustard and then rub it with spices. But just try the spices first. And I generally do a mixture of like. Uh, I've got the rub. I've got. I've, I've you got, got your own rub. Good. You know. Um, so then you take that. You 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 turn your oven. You preheat your oven to like 500 degrees. Mm-hmm. You pop the whole thing in the oven in a in a roasting pan mm-hmm. for about 50 minutes, and you braise it basically. And you pull it out of the oven, you take about five or six cloves of garlic chopped up, and you drop them in the bottom of the pan. And then you take a beer, and you pour the beer over the pork. Mm -hmm. Then 
you tent it. You, you get you get some pieces of aluminum foil. You tent the mm-hmm. whole thing. You poke some holes in the foil. You drop the oven temperature down to about 275 degrees. You put it back in, and you let it cook for generally about three hours, uh, maybe okay. slightly more. You can kind of let it go to some degree as long as you want, as long as you keep the temperature down around 250, 275. And then, you know what, lo and behold, uh, you pull it out, it smells delightful, you take it out of the pan, you let it sit for about 20 minutes, you take the drippings, the beer and the fat and the garlic and everything, you dump them in uh, a, a saucepan, you add some Worcestershire, you add some Dijon mustard, you add some ketchup, and you cook that and reduce it a bit over the course of 20 minutes, and then you pull the pork... You get it all separated, get the bone out of there, get the excess fat out of there, and you take that thing, that sauce that you just made on the stove, and you dump it in to the meat, and you mix it all together, and all right. it flavors it in a remarkable way. It's 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 not quite as good as off-the-smoker pulled pork, but it's damn close, and it's better than what you'll do in the crock pot. I have lots of homework. I like this. So sour beer and pork. This is the best homework assignment I've I've ever gotten in my life. Uh, so any, any I guess any final kitchen thoughts? Any any final like one cooking tip? I hate that one cooking tip. But somebody listening to this doesn't know can't cook beyond like cereal. What's one thing they can do this week? And what's their homework? You know, besides sour beer and pork. What's their what's their what 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 could what could their homework be? What could they do to get to, to you know? uh, let's see. If they're vegetarian, um practice making pasta and their favorite vegetable in a sauce that consists primarily of melted butter and white wine and cayenne pepper uh Ooh. mixed together uh but but reduced to the point where it's almost a glaze more than a sauce okay so you would you know make pasta correctly little tip folks when you're making pasta get the water boiling first my uh, uh, yeah i i'm not even going to say what i was going to say cuz i got a yeah. nasty look from across the, the the couch there um but i've known people who <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> who used who used to they would put the the Clavio family they would to. put they would put all the pasta in the water first before they started heating the water up and then would heat the water up and would just wait until it was like close to being edible um which is the wrong way to do it put put water on in a in a pot with a lid heat the water up until it's completely boiling rolling boil add Three or you know two or three uh, solid pinches, if not more than that, of salt. Add some olive oil, then add the pasta, then set the oven timer for whatever the box says al dente is, which is generally right on the box. Six minutes, nine minutes, eleven minutes. When the timer goes off, tur- you know, stir it while you're cooking it. Turn it off. Dump it. Save a little bit of the pasta water uh, before you dump it. Dump it, put it in a bowl, put a little bit of butter in there, put a little bit of the pasta water in, stir it up. Cook the vegetable to the point where it's crunchy and but still very edible and flavorful. Put that in. Take that butter, wine, 
cayenne pepper sauce that you've reduced, dump that on top, maybe toss a little bit of Parmesan cheese on there. Maybe not if you're a vegetarian, but you get the idea. That's Make something like that. Make something simple but flavorful. And all those things that I just, like, you could cook the vegetables on an, in a nonstick skillet with some Pam if you wanted to. Like, we're not talking about rocket science here. <laughs> if you're, if you're a, if you're a, if you eat meat and you're looking for a first step, practice making hamburgers. I know it seems simple, but just practice seasoning the hamburger slightly. Season it with some salt, season it with maybe a little bit of something else. Um, practice making patties, practice cooking it on a skillet to the, and cooking it just to the point that you want it. Um, which my God should be at the most medium. Like that's would no, none of this medium well or well stuff. Like uh, that's one of the big things I think cooks at home need to get, wrap their brains around is that cooking meat over medium is, that will get you cooked out of, that will get you kicked out of the cooking club for life as far as I'm concerned. Like I don't have any patience for that. So. Okay. Um, the, the one lesson I can offer you, and I, it's one I've recently learned and really like, is any vegetable that you hated when you were a kid, roast with some olive oil for at like 450 for a little bit, and you will m- most likely love it. So broccoli, asparagus, Brussels sprouts, any you know, carrots, any of the things that you kind of hated as a kid, try roasting, yep. and it will like you'll have that crunch, you'll have a good, it, it'll just retain more flavor. It'll just be, I think, strong. I think a better, mm-hmm. it, it, you'll, it, you'll kind of open your, open your, open yourself up. So we have helped a lot of people with this episode. This is fantastic. I hope so. And I mean, if people have particular questions that they'd like to direct to us, by all means do so. Um, this is, you know, cooking is not a state secret. It is, it is something that, Everybody should learn how to do guys as well as girls, you know, and particularly in this day and age when there's so much good food available Mm -hmm. for you to bring home and when eating out has gotten more and more expensive, um, there's no reason for you not to learn how to cook and cook well. There's so many things that you can learn to cook that will be just as tasty as what you're getting at the supermarket. It's just a Mm -hmm. matter of putting a little bit of time and effort into figuring out how to do it. And once you do it, you generally don't forget how to do it. And, and it can be simple. Like, it, you know, we, we talked a lot about kind of stepping your game up, but, you know, get a chicken breast, salt, pepper, olive oil, saute it with some, with some, fret, with some vegetables and yep. maybe a little rice or pasta. And, that, and you're, you're ahead of the game. You're 90% ahead of the game with that. So, um, Awesome. Well, at show notes and this episode, we're on iTunes. So if you yes. like what you hear, subscribe. If you really like what you hear and would consider give us a rating, that would be awesome. Uh, we're at sportsmediaguy.com. Just click on the flip side. And uh, we will be back next week with our 12th. We will beat Cop Rock next week with the 12th episode, Anniversary Spectacular. God, I hope so. <laughs> well, well, I'm not going, well I, I, I have, and I have homework to do. So you do. I, I, I will look forward. Which you have two weeks to do. It's not. Yes. You don't have to be okay. done next next week. But sounds uh, good. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, Brian. Thanks, and and thanks to all you folks for listening in. And uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody.